Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 to 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling our own tongues, telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked them and said they were filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I always read that line because I just have to laugh, you know. Peter's saying, they're not drunk. It's too early in the morning to be drunk. <laughs> it's kind of interesting if you think about it. So here we are, listening to the story again of the coming of the Holy Spirit. In the Christian year, this Sunday is dedicated to celebrating Pentecost. And yet, it's such a major event in the life of the church that is so significantly overlooked. I mean, let's be honest. Worship centers, sanctuaries, auditoriums, they're filled with people on Christmas Eve and they're filled on Easter Sunday. But Pentecost is the most significant thing that happens after and because of Christmas and Easter and yet it doesn't get its due in most local churches. And that's probably because there's no correlating uh, secular event associated with it, no correlating secular culture around it. I mean, honestly, at Christmas time, people are just into the whole gifting thing and they're looking for bright lights and intimacy and, and, uh, and, and uh, meaning in the dead of winter in Western culture. And so, uh, and here in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, it means so much to us to celebrate Christmas as a family time. And it really doesn't have much to do with the birth of Jesus in most people's minds. But because it's, such a, it's so embraced as the holidays, it is a time when churches are filled. 
Same thing with Easter. It's a spring celebration. It's an opportunity to wear new clothes and, and, uh, and the tradition of fasting and then ending the fast has led to a whole culture that celebrates candy and chocolate and bunnies and things like that. But in the end, it really isn't as big as it should be as a celebration of the death and resurrection of Jesus, which leads to our freedom from sin and death. And this promise that God can find us acceptable in God's household, in God's presence again. In other words, after Adam and Eve were cast out of God's presence, until Jesus' death and resurrection, we were never getting into God's presence either. But because of Jesus, we can now be in the presence of God. But the secular world has embraced Easter too, and so therefore our sanctuaries are filled on Easter Sunday. You know what the next most heavily uh, trafficked holiday is in the life of the church when, when we see more people in church is Mother's Day. So if I were looking at the Christian year and I were watching the church from a distance, I'd say, boy, that parking lot's really full on Christmas Eve. It's really full on Easter Sunday, and it's really full a few weeks after Easter but that's Mother's Day. Shouldn't the parking lot be full and the sanctuary full on Pentecost Sunday? I personally think so. What we learned from Pentecost is that these men who had walked with Jesus were men after God's own heart and they were devoted to Jesus because they were awed by his miracles and they were motivated by holy ambition. But they weren't really able to grasp the big picture because they didn't have a complete understanding. And we like to pick on them sometimes and make them out to be fools, but they were no fools. They just didn't know what they didn't know. And so Jesus led them and they trusted him, but they only felt strong and empowered when he seemed to be in control. And that made them feel that they were walking with the master of the universe who was going to rule with perfect grace and love. But then when things fell apart and it didn't look like he was in control after all, they fell apart too. They didn't know what to do when Jesus didn't seem to be in control. They didn't know what to do when Jesus wasn't with them. And these very fine men with very good ambitions and courageous men who were willing to drop everything and follow Jesus, whatever it cost, were really just ordinary men. And at the time when Jesus remained among them after he was raised from the dead, they had with them a living God who had in his own power taken his brutally beaten dead body and come back to life, re-entered his body, re, not just reanimated his body, but resurrected it, became the new resurrected form. If you want to know what it's going to be like when you're resurrected from the dead, just read the stories about Jesus, because he's the firstborn of the resurrected dead. Jesus told the Pharisee Nicodemus that the only way he could really get into the kingdom of God, which is Christ's kingdom, was to be born again. 
He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, because of Pentecost, that's easier for us to grasp. It's easier for us to wrap our mind around because of Pentecost. Understand that Nicodemus and the apostles didn't have the understanding that, that they would eventually receive because of the Pentecost event. So think about this for a minute. The apostles lived with Jesus for three years, and he taught them and led them through their sort of curriculum. Now this is, I said, a continuation of the message about, the messages about men leading up to Father's Day and being men after God's own heart. But listen carefully, men and women. Jesus had them on a three-year educational plan. And each, each lesson increased with its intensity and its power. And then it even involved exercises that tested their faith and grew their faith. Jesus taught them to quote, get used to different. And then when he was gone, they weren't sure what to do. They needed his presence in order to be empowered and to live the different. Then Jesus told them, I have to go. And you won't see me again until I come back in glory. And they must have been terrified. Because up to this point, their, 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 their flesh is still mostly what they've got going for them. And their flesh is committed to him. And their knowledge has increased. And their training has paid off. But at best, they would be skilled, trained witnesses or, or salespeople, if you want to call them that. And they would be incomplete. But they didn't know that. Even though Jesus said, in a little while, I'm going to send you something that's going to make all the difference. I'm going to send you someone that is going to change everything for you. They didn't understand. And then we hear the passage that we just read. Pentecost was a Jewish celebration that came five weeks after the Passover. And that's why it's called Pentecost. And, and Pentecost is something they still celebrate. And so we have a different meaning when we say Pentecost because we remember it as the day the Holy Spirit came and the church was empowered by the Spirit. But it's, it's, it's a Jewish celebration. And so when this event happened in Jerusalem, there were lots of people from all over, as you read in the passage, for a annual festival that was well attended. And this event occurred in such a profound way that nobody missed it. Because literally heaven rushed in and came to earth and landed on those people in a way that was visible. And then it became clear to them what they'd been missing. 
To be men and women after God's own heart, they had to be born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. They had died to themselves over the time that they had known Jesus. And even as they saw Jesus resurrected from the dead, they were frightened and they felt inadequate and they failed in a lot of ways to really grasp where this was headed. And so they felt like they were as good as they were going to get in their flesh. And so they had died to themselves. But they hadn't been born again until the Holy Spirit came. And that's when that which is born of spirit gave birth to their new being in the spirit. This is what we mean when we say you have to die to yourself and be born again. It means that you have to be willing to say who I am in the flesh is limited to how long I live and how well I can develop this individual that I call myself. But when you die to self, it means that you understand that there is a part of your nature that belongs to God. And if you give God that part of you that already belongs to God, and then allow him to reset it and make it over, give it back to you and call you his child, then you're born again. And it means that sin and death no longer have power over you doesn't mean that you don't still have weak flesh that is still prone to temptation and habit and weakness. But there's nothing prohibiting you from becoming more Christ-like every day with the help of the Holy Spirit. And what we fail to do, most Christians, is to invite the Holy Spirit to take the lead in our lives. And this is what we mean when we say that Jesus is your Savior, but he's also your Lord. Most Christian believers are happy to say that they're saved from sin and death and they're going to heaven when they die, as though that's an after-you-die thing. But the Holy Spirit reminds us at Pentecost that heaven comes to you when you're born again. And that means you don't have to wait till you die to go to heaven. You can live with heaven in and around you every day. And if more of us would do this, if more of us would embrace the Holy Spirit's leadership of our lives, surrendered to King Jesus, then the things that are happening in some of the cities today would be profoundly affected by the body of Christ. Now, the body of Christ is there. But how many of the people who go in Christ's name are doing it because of a sense of altruism or a sense of moral indignation and, and, and they're doing it within their own flesh? What it means to be a born-again believer, and this is why our, our Methodist founder, John Wesley, is one of my great heroes, is because he understood that Holy Spirit-led holiness creates the good that changes the world. And this is why our vision in this church is to change our community through our discipleship. This is why being disciples and seeking disciples is our principal mission, because we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we're growing the impact of the body of Christ by being personally more holy than we used to be, which holiness really just means being set apart, saying I'm not part of this world anymore. I'm in it, but I'm not part of it. And I choose to invite the Holy Spirit to direct my life every morning, every day, every hour. 
And then to be willing to courageously and flexibly embrace that spirit. The apostles were scaredy cats when Jesus wasn't around to help them, but then they got the Holy Spirit and their boldness was profound. People were overwhelmed by it. They didn't know what to think of these guys. What are these bunch of hicks from Galilee? How are they so suddenly so powerful and persuasive? How is it that things are happening like this that are beyond comprehension? Because the Holy Spirit was working through them. Otherwise, they would have come off like some very good, very wonderful, enlivened and, and, and uh, more committed to the sacred men from Galilee. But with the Holy Spirit, they were Jesus's presence among the people, even while their personalities and their unique gifts remained their own. Eventually, Paul would say it this way. He would say that it is in him that we live and move and have our being. In other words, our being, that sense of who you are, yourself, when you are talking to yourself or looking at yourself in the mirror and you have this feeling that there's someone in there as well as the flesh that you see. And that being is now in like en enveloped in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes into you when you're born again and you are enveloped so that you are still all of who you are, but, but now you are wrapped, enveloped with the Holy Spirit so that you have your being in him. When Jesus told them he'd be with them always to the end of the age, this is what he meant. He is with us always to the end of the age, and then he'll come and be with us literally and figure, physically again. When you try to understand the impact of the Holy Spirit, just look back over Christian history and ask why this movement started on Pentecost Sunday and continues without a break right on through to 2,000 years later. Even though there have been all manner of destructive things happen in the life of the church universal. Religion has poisoned the church universal and ruined it. Paul and the other apostles wrote to churches that they had birthed through their preaching and said, you guys are still messing up thinking that this is somehow about you. And it never ends. Churches get corrupted by the world's influence and by worldly people who are not born again, not filled with the Holy Spirit. And certainly there are churches that started as spirit-filled movements and then became whitewashed tombs with nothing but dry bones in them. And certainly that still happens to this day. And in the cycle of the life of this church, it's probably happened. But the reality is, is that with the Holy Spirit, new vitality and boldness can happen at any moment. And so I ask you to join me in praying that after this 10, 12 weeks of shutdown where the church has been closed for a while and the building is not what we're about anymore, we are still the body of Christ because of the same Holy Spirit that's with all of us and in all of us, enveloping our being. 
And that maybe by that Holy Spirit, when we come back, we could see a vitality like we've never known before in the life of this church. This is an opportunity for you to start praying that the Spirit of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, would come upon Shiloh so that our discipleship as those who return to this building to be a family gathered in this house that God has given us would be the family by the spirit blood that's shared in all of us all the time. Let us be a Pentecostal apostolic expression of the Holy Spirit leading this life. And now when I say Pentecostal, I don't mean a religious organization. I mean in the nature of this Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit empowers everything that happens in the body. So that we are a body of people with a building that we gather in and around and we are the Spirit-led disciples of Jesus Christ. Then our personal holiness combined with the holiness that's happening and the transformative power of the Spirit that's happening and all the other believers as a community, we lift all together like the rising tide. This is a series about men becoming men after God's own heart. This particular application of the Apostles' story is easily fitted to women and men, to children and adults. But I want to tell you, men, with my final word, if you are willing to be taken over by the Holy Spirit. And don't be afraid of that. It doesn't mean you're going to do things that would shame and embarrass you. That's not how the Lord works. But if you're willing to let the Lord lead your life, for him to be the king of your life, then you will be a spirit-driven leader in your household and in your community. You'll be a role model to your spouse and your children and your grandchildren. You'll be an example in the workplace and in the store and in the community and even on the road. You'll be a servant in the church. You will come willingly and joyfully to church with your family and you'll want to help them to get the most out of their shared faith in this shared family called Shiloh. Spirit-led leaders lead by being courageous and flexible and that means they're courageous enough to to not put themselves ahead of god's holy ambitions for them spirit-led leaders live for his glory so that they can help change the world by discipleship first in their own home and we say amen because we want it to be so let us pray almighty god thank you for your leadership in our family of faith. Thank you for sustaining us through this difficult time. Now take the word that I've spoken and burn upon the hearts of the people who have heard it, only that which comes from your spirit, and erase anything that may be flawed by my humanity, so that you will be glorified and people will come willingly to be served, to serve and to be saved, to, say, to be saved and to serve. And all of this I pray for your glory and your namesake, Lord Jesus. Amen.